This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Professor William Komeda going to be talking about talking to us about governance and he is a governance expert says the government is not serious about dealing with the country's energy crisis and there's a possibility that the country's powerful grid could ultimately collapse. Julius Malema, and I'll just tell you what Julius Malema was saying in the uh, bulletin there. Uh, Julius Malema saying there will be a total blackout. Some of these elements you'll see in the next two weeks. Uh, There's going to be darkness, says Julius Malema. He says government officials have no knowledge, no skills. There will be no water because the water, uh, of course, supplies need electricity. Nothing is going to function. It'll be worse than COVID. And then he says the dead will have to be buried the same day because there won't be fridges. Yeah, so that ultimately, and, and, and you know, when, whenever we talk about a blackout, we talk about the crime, the crime, the crime. We talk about those particular aspects. <sighs> blackout just means nothing happens. And you're at home and nothing happens and you have no capacity to do anything. You know, the TVs and the radios and those things and the fridges will be the least of your problems. There will be some serious problems in the country when nothing ultimately can work. And then, of course, those um, we, we just hope that we never get there. The other thing that I mentioned to you last week was when Cyril Ramaphosa was asked, of course, by the, EF, the IFP in Parliament whether government was making plans for a total blackout, Cyril Ramaphosa said that the government is making plans, the government is taking contingency steps, it hopes we never get there. But South Africans will be the first to know if there is a total blackout in the country. I love that particular statement. South Africans will be the first to know if there's a total blackout in the country. <laughs> I think maybe, you know, maybe the, he, maybe the, the prayers was just being funny, you know, around some of these aspects. But let me bring Prof. William Kumede into the conversation, and he writes about some of these things as well. Prof. William Kumede, welcome to Power 98.7. Welcome to Power Perspective, sir. How are you, William? I'm so happy to be speaking to you because we've been such a long while. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, man. And how are you? Uh You know, it's been a really, really long while, Prof. No, no, absolutely. Um, And, you know, it's unfortunate we have to speak about a potential great collapse. Uh, And uh, maybe, and, and I thought... I mean, I was just listening to um, some of the voice notes there, and 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 you, you, you know, sadly, um, mm. I don't think um, South Africans do understand what a great collapse will mean. Mm, mm. Um, that's the first thing, and secondly, also, it just seems like I mean, just you know, you were quoting uh, uh, the president, yeah, um, and you know, um, the danger really is that um, that both the government and ordinary citizens actually take the idea of a great collapse not seriously. I mean, mm. I've just had a response from the president that South Africans would know. Were you chuckling there on the other side? We're going to wake up and, you know, great collapse. <laughs> just like, like, I mean, let me, I mean, if I just, from a, more on a serious note, yeah. I mean, I'll, let me just explain, you know, a grid collapse, really, it will shut down the internet or mm. mobile networks mm. or landlines mm. or community 
case and systems across the country will collapse. Mm. Electronic banking transactions, uh, transactions uh, will stop. Mm. ATMs will stop working. Mm. Public transport will come to a standstill. Mm. The water grid will collapse. Mm. Water supply across the country will collapse. The sewage system across the country will collapse. Mm. Food shortages, hyperinflation, um, um, and you know, oil, diesel, or paraffin will mm. be, um, be unable for people to get it. And I'll, I'll mm. give you just a scenario from uh, the infl- inflation. Mm. Uh, you know, Lebanon had um, a grid collapse, mm. and the prices increased 500 percent. Mm. Um, that's the inflation that we're talking about. Whoa. Our currency, Whoa. the rand mm. currency, uh, you know, is already, uh, you know, against the rock, ropes, 19 um, rand to the dollar. Mm. Now, in the case of Lebanon, during their grid collapse, their currency collapsed 90% of its value. I mean, you mm. just have to um, um, imagine. And then liquid fuel, this is now petrol and diesel, will run out uh, mm. because of shortages. Mm. I mean, just a simple thing, you know, the state will totally fail. I mean, we're talking about state failure now. Imagine all hospitals, every government department, everything fail. Can't even get a passport. You can't get an ID mm. document. It's total a failure. Digital platforms, there's no social media gone, uh, um, shut down. Mm. Uh, your payment systems in both the public and private sector gone. And even generators mm. will, you, you know, the end of the, uh, because now generators is a backup. I imagine there's sources of di- diesel, sources of petrol, um, absolutely, or uh, generators, will, generators will also uh, come to an end. Mm. So, Prof, let me let me let me me ask you this question, Prof. Uh, Governmental experience, the the type of which you have, um, and 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 governmental knowledge of of how government works. Then, why 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 are we in the position that we are? You know, I mean, I I would have thought that there are brains behind certain things. You know, there was a there was a thing called PCAS once. You know, uh, the Presidential Advisory. Uh, you know, uh, a committee that would that would look at various things like of of this particular nature and and advise and look at and make sure that we don't get here. So so why are we here where we are now when you've just sketched what we and I mean it doesn't have to be you to sketch that. I mean every single person just understands. You know, if this doesn't work and. And the money, for example, if banks and auto banks go down, it just means that I don't have money to do anything. It doesn't mean that the shop ultimately closed. It does. It just means that I don't even have the money, even if the shop was open, to go and purchase anything because ATMs and things go down. So nothing ultimately works. So, so why are we here? I mean, yes, yeah. Let me just uh, give a, just a, a very short, you know, what is behind the power crisis and, and, and why are we there? I think that's the first thing, you know, in 1998, it all started in 1998. And, mm. and it's important that I give that, that kind of uh, uh, background. Mm. Uh, uh, now, in 1998, um, ESCOM, uh, the, uh, the ESCOM management told government that, look, you know, all of the power stations that have been built in South Africa were built in the 1950s and mm. some even before. Mm. It, is come, it is soon coming to an end. Um, um, let's plan, let's, um, let's um, build new ones. Yeah. And also that the old ones need to be maintained um, and so on. So, you know, two things, build new ones, maintain the old ones. Yeah. It was rejected. 
Um, so at a time that the Tabu Mbeki presidency, yeah. he rejected the whole thing of maintenance and says, well, you know what? Um, we know more than you. Um, we mm. are the government. We've got all the information. Mm. Um, we don't think uh, what you're saying to us is, you know, that that's the case. So it started yeah. off uh, like that. Mm. So that it, it, it then meant that ESCOM started um, y- y- um, building up a maintenance backlog. Mm. That's the first thing. Second thing is the way asset works. So when you have, say, a power station that's 50, 60 years old mm. and it must come to an end, you can sweat it further. Uh, say, may, let's just say maybe for another 10, 15 years. But yeah. that, what it, that sweating it longer means you have to, the cost to maintain it just to keep it going mm. now increases very, it becomes very high. Um, and second, you have to, because it's so old and beyond its time, mm. what you need to do when you maintain it, you have to stop it totally mm. for longer periods to try yeah. to maintain it. So yeah. that is really is the technical part of it. And, and I'll come back to it, uh, 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 it a little later because that's really uh, important. Then now the second thing happened um, uh, thereafter is we now began to get – so when that – now uh, a, a backlog of maintenance – are happening and became uh, uh, and you know more costly mm. um, to run um, um, the power stations. Um, what then happened was the cadre deployment came in, and then um, the contracts, uh, you know, corruption now comes in. So it started off with a policy issue, which then became, and then the second, you know, into that policy issue, now corruption, you know, the beginning of state capture. Um, and so on. And then linked to the beginning of state capture, we have now the deployment, uh, cadre deployment, so you bring incompetence also mm. in, you know. So corruption in, incompetence, lack of maintenance um, now comes um, 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 into it. Mm. Then an additional thing <laughs> came, mm. came in. Government then decided, well, actually, maybe we should do something now. And it's now building, you know, the two, Madupi and Kusile, the two, yeah. the largest, uh, you know, coal-fired power plants. Now, because that was now the era of incompetence and the era of corruption, what happens was that, uh, you know, those two power stations were planned mm. for 280 billion um, for a certain period. And actually, it runs almost now three times the period, mm. and the cost goes um um, something like 500 billion, so yeah. from the 280 billion, uh, and so on. And then because of that corruption, then deficiencies, defects, mm. um, because the ANC was then part. You know, if you remember, the ANC was part of their contract as a party. Chancellor House, the ANC's investment arm, was also a party to it. So you know that conflict of interest where you have the party um, part of tendering of the power and so on. So you, you know costs. Um, uh, bumped ups and and so on. Mm. So now, like you know, to recapture uh, mm. backlog, ma- maintenance backlog, um, old assets, um, incompetence, corruption, corruption, um, the new uh, you, you know the solution of the the two new power stations. Yeah, um, they not they um, are, are late, but they are also more costly. And then because of the corruption, we are now, we were, if you remember, we, the country was uh, uh, given as uh, junk status. Mm. Now, once, I come, once there's a junk status, then, 
you know, the loans that a country borrow becomes much more expensive. Yeah. And institutional investors from the U.S. or other places, often what they do is they withdraw or they don't make new investments. So, so, so if a loan was, I mean, you know, if you go to a bank and you get a loan and you are, you know, your background, you're, you're, you're kind of financially dodgy. Mm. Uh, if they give it to you, you pay more. And, and, and it seems we are different. financially dodgy as a country at this particular <laughs> point, Prof. <laughs> I mean, big, you, you know, we, we're in that sector called junk status you know it's like sitting it's like sitting in front of your bank manager and the bank manager says what is your status and you say i'm sitting in junk sir so that's where we are as a country we are now so 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 when you bring it all together i mean Mm. i'll just give you a quote i mean uh, uh last year uh, former Deputy President uh, Mabuza, you know, he was um, responding to questions in Parliament. Yeah. And he said that defects at the two power stations, Madupi and Kusile, mm. will only be fixed by t- t- uh, 2027. Okay. There was this in, in Parliament. I don't know why people haven't picked up on that. So, so we just need almost... Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, those two <laughs> new power stations are out. <laughs> they know <Prof>. really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Prof, right. The background and everything is there. Now I'm going to ask you a couple of hard questions, right? I mean, you, 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 you've earned your professorship. You've, you've earned your studying and you've got the governance thing under, under your belt. I'm going, to, I'm going to move into the political space because I know you dabble there and you've dabbled there. And I'm also going to move to the realistic space of all of that. And then I want to get to Andre de Reiter and his book. Let's, mm-hmm. let's start here. The relationship of coal interests and the ANC. Give me an understanding of this particular, because this particular aspect I don't think we talk enough about when we talk about why we're either not moving to renewables, the conversation about renewables, and or the kind of stuff that's going on in the element of where we supply coal to uh, um, um, you know these 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 plants, and why we are in the place where we are. Does does the ANC as an organization, as an entity, have a particular relationship with coal? Be it corrupt, be it historical, be it prehistorical, be it anything. What's the relationship with coal that the ANC has? Absolutely. I mean, maybe just to the first. Uh, uh, to kind of uh, explain simply, if, for example, we use all of the coal right now that we have, mm. because, you know, we're a country with abundance with coal, mm. um, to try um, um, and, you know, deal with the power crisis is not going to help because the power stations are defective. They cannot use the coal. <laughs> you you know, there's not enough power stations yes. working. So even if we have the most coal in the whole world, yeah. It cannot be used because the power stations are broken yeah. or not working. They're only going to be working in 2027. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's a real dilemma. So, um, so that's the first thing. And I just wanted to put that aside. Okay. Now we have to talk about the politics of the ANC and, and, and coal within those politics of the ANC. Yes. So the first thing, just to start off, just to say that President Sarah is presidential style, what he's trying to do is, is to hold the ANC together as a unit at all costs. And he said that the, the, the um, ANC and, first uh, be, be, before, the, before the country. And that's where problems start, you know, with 
not only with power issues, but with everything um, in the country, because it means that it's the ANC's interest first before mm. the country's interest. So if the country has a power issue, if the ANC has a problem, you know, the president is going to look at the ANC's problems first before he will look at the power problems. Mm. So let me link it. Um, it, it just means that because the ANC itself as a political party is almost, you know, it is artificially held together. Mm. It has so many components. Now, because the president is, has a managing style of holding all of the factions together, mm. he is trying to appease every faction. Mm. So don't make any big decisions when we really need decisions in order to hold the party um, together. It means like, you know, so in real terms, let's say, for example, if let's say coal, if the coal lobby in the ANC, a very mm. powerful lobby in the ANC, um, most of the, the black economic empowerment in mining, they actually um, in the coal um, industry, they mm. strong funders of the ANC, and we know the ANC is in a financial crisis. Mm. So these are big traditional funders of the ANC, so very powerful control. Mm. Then there's the unions, National Union of, of Mine Workers is a very, very strong mm. um, um, union in the ANC. It's the biggest yeah, union that's supporting um, Ramaphosa. At ESCOM, it is the biggest union at ESCOM. Mm. It, 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 it rivals NUMSA at ESCOM. So if, for example, there's a recent structuring of ESCOM, a retrenchment, and the unions lose their members, and the National Union of Mine Workers will become a minority union. So yeah. even there's a political um, interest. And now, um, from a coal point of view, so the unions are also supporting um, um, strongly this, uh, coal mm. for purpose of, you know, their membership um, are working there mm. um, in the mines, in the coal mines, and it's labor intensive. Mm. Yeah, 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 uh, and so on. So you can say, so for example, if you are, let's just say you're the CEO, whoever is the CEO of ESCOM, if you want to deal with, um, say, want to restructure your organization, because ESCOM, if one compare ESCOM with other utilities around the world, it has too many staff. Mm. You know, ordinary staff and even management also. Mm. Um, so, but because of the ANC's or the president's um, strategy of unifying the ANC, mm. um, he won't allow uh, or um, union members um, uh, to be retrenched at all. Mm. So ultimately, you know, the president um, also not is fending off. If if I hear you prof, properly, he's fending off a rebellion that could that could arise should you should you make certain decisions. So he 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 stutters on his decisions, and he also then fends off. Uh, he's walking this political tightrope also because some of those people who are. Big, big, uh, you know, people who uh, promote this this coal industry are people who also politically saved him at at you know at the fifty fifth conference. Um, you know, we we saw the role that Gwede Mantasha played at that particular time, and and I'm just mentioning Gwede Mantasha as one of those proponents of coal. But of course, you're linking it and saying. It's linked, of course, to the labor force and to the unions, and it's a it's it's a mass movement in a particular space. But it's also linked financially to big players who have come in and who own that particular space now, and that Andre the Rater writes about, and of course who have contributed both to the party and or to individuals also, and they have become billionaires in this particular space. So this Absolutely. so this yeah. thing called coal, as much as we look at it and have conversations about it. 
is much more than merely this black piece of you know thing being being operated on a truck being transported on a truck you know no no totally totally i mean just in terms of let's just say if i mean just one example that you were, were mentioning now the anc's uh, conference uh, mm. the december conference that uh, re-elected uh, ramaphosa as anc president now you know a key figure that really actually uh, the enforcer that helped him uh, uh, win the presidency was guillermo mm. um who is you know the uh, uh, minerals and resources minister um, energy resources minister um, he is almost a de facto prime minister within government and within the ANC because of his power. Mm. Now, the president cannot get rid of him politically mm. because in this unity strategy uh, of it. And, and Guede himself is s- strongly cold mm. um, because he comes to... Uh, it's an ideological... Yeah, it starts there. It starts there. But, you know, he also ideologically opposed renewable energy. And now mm. that comes the issue. Yeah? Um, so, uh, uh, and so now the, then what a president does is the president then appointed um, a new electricity minister. Mm. Now, if you think about a new electricity minister, Mr. Ramahopa, I mean, if you, if you compare him to Guerrero Mentas within the ANC, he's a junior in the ANC. Um, yeah. There's very little he can do if Guerrero Mentas says, this is, we not, this is the line. Mm. Ramakwaba cannot challenge Greater mm. Mantas. Mm. That's, I mean, when Greater Mantas actually dismissed that appointment, if you can remember, he called it a project manager yeah. uh, appointment. Then, of course, also because, now, why do I bring that in? Because the way a state owned entity uh, functions, the way um, uh, ESCOM functions, now, normally, companies, whether they're public or private, you get, what do you, you get the board that oversees and you get a CEO and you get your management and they run the company. Mm. Now, what has been happening at ESCOM during all of this crisis, you had the CEO and then you have the board, but then you had Greater Mentas' mineral resources minister, um, as, um, you know, the entity um, reports to Greater Mentas, but the entity also, uh, ESCOM also reports um, to public enterprises. So now dual reporting. And now you have a class on the one hand between Greater Mentas because he has a different view. He is ideologically pro-coal, um, mm. ideologically anti-renewable energy. Then you have the public enterprises minister has his own view in terms of how a state-owned company should be run. Then you have your board, and we've seen in the past the boards have been absolutely often ineffective. I mean, the board, for the, you know, before this one, if you look at that, the board of uh, Prof. Uh, Mahoba, you know, that that, that board, for example, had no engineer on there. It had no um, person mm. with with um, that CFO particular type of skills, for yeah. example. You, you, you know, so and it was then became a weak board. Good people, but not the, the, the appropriate skills um, to help um, uh, an entity in a crisis. Then. You know, you have another governance layer, so the ANC deployment committee. So even if you're the CEO of ESCOM, you can't really make key appointments mm. without those appointments being vetted by the ANC deployment committee. Now there's a additional, you know, so can I, yeah, so we already have Gwenementas, Mineral Resources Ministers, one governance mm. uh, line. You've got the Public Enterprises Minister Praveen Gordon, another uh, um, line of governance. You get your boards, you get your management, you get your CEO, and then you bring in your 
ANC is NSC because in that ANC there's a fight between the coal factions, renewable mm. energy factions, leader um, mm. factions, you know, RET mm. factions, and so on. They all have different views of how ESCOM serves. And they all um, and they probably all linked financially. Mm. Yeah. Or but then also what people often forget, you have actually the state entities who also fight for control of ESCOM. Let me just explain yeah. when I say state uh, entities. Sure. Um, you know, Petro SA, the state-owned um, oil company. Let me, let me, let me, they, they, would, they would ultimately, I mean, in, in, in as bad state as they are, they would ultimately be looking at a sort of, um, you know, positive, positive for themselves in the sense that they sell diesel to to ESCOM, right, and probably inflate those prices tremendously, and so they're bringing down ESCOM in a sense, but saving themselves, and 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 both are going to sink. Absolutely. So I mean, uh, you know, uh, the life, uh, you, you know, Petra SA is in such uh, such a crisis, and they they are only surviving because they have a monopoly of selling. Um, diesel to ESCOM. ESCOM uh, doesn't have the license to buy um, diesel from the market and, mm. and, and negotiate, you, you know, a competitive price. Mm. Um, they can only get it from Petro SA. So Petro SA inflates the price to ESCOM because ESCOM cannot get it anywhere else. Yeah. And that, you know, and that price um, then helps um, Petro SA um, and so on. So because Petro SA has failed, as mm. like many other state-owned com- companies, uh, inadequate boards, you know, poor management, mm. cutter deployment, um, uh, procurement corruption, all of the kind of crises that we also see in the land bank and, mm. you know, all of the other. It's like a parasitic, it's like a parasitic plant. Absolutely. It's a parasitic yeah. on ESCOM, yeah. Huh? Yeah, it's a parasitic um, plant on, on yeah. ESCOM, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, so, and I can bring in many other kinds of state ent- entities um, with the same kind of parasitic um, mm. Like hold on ESCOM and yeah. bringing down ESCOM. It'll kill it in the end. Prof, let me let me ask you about the state of disaster, which is not the state of disaster, which was supposed to be a state of disaster. And and you know when things like that get mentioned, and also that 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 you know policy regulatory statements around how ESCOM should you know continue in the financial markets without declaring, and all of those things, and then public outcry by all of that. So the state of disaster. Um, for me, there were certain things that, you know, in a normal circumstance, when something is in the state that it is, you, you, in a normal state of, of things, a state of disaster when it comes from a political space, an economic space, might be a good thing. And I could see, you know, that things might be good under that particular environment. One that I could just think of is, is that things move faster. You're not caught up with red tape. You can move the army and the police in, maybe, you know, uh, maybe court proceedings and, 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 and these criminality things move a little faster. Uh, that, you know, they're not bound to, to, to all sort of regulatory things. So in the state of disaster, you can do quite a lot of things to alleviate certain pressures. The only problem is, is that we saw what happened in COVID with with that particular state of disaster, um, and and people were like, no, we just don't trust you with what you could potentially do in a state of disaster, and so you have the resistance to it. So something that might necessarily have been a good thing, you know, suddenly becomes challenged by the citizenry because. 
You've shown us your hand before, and it's been a corrupt hand. In in essence, the state of disaster thing, do you argue the same way, or you know it's just something we should have never looked at in the first place because the things to save ESCOM were already in play? Um, you know, I'm going to start it off first. Maybe what I should have done at the beginning is just to say, I mean, why am I talking about ESCOM? I mean, you know, I was an advisor on um, the... Um, and the presidential review on state-owned entities in the mm. 2009 one set up by former president Jacob Zuma, you know, and we mm. worked on those reports and we made recommendations, yeah. including for ESCOM. And I actually worked on ESCOM in terms of its governance structure and we made recommendations and, um, you know, worked very hard on it, looked and looked at the time also at comparative state-owned entities around the world and yeah. how they cleaned them up and so on. Yeah? Mm. So that, that's uh, uh, the context. Um, and the second context... Um, um, that I'm working for, uh, from is mm. that, uh, you know, I chaired a cabinet um, a, a report on state-owned entities. Um, a, a, we did a, a report on uh, um, the property of state-owned entities mm. and how they could leave it if they're in a crisis, how they could possibly um, leave it, uh, their own property and their own assets mm. um, economically, you, you, you know, to, to raise funds or, 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 you know, for example, you can sell uh, and, um, strategically or, or, or borrow based on your assets strategically, mm. um, you know, to get that kind of strategy because many countries have those um, sophisticated stra- um, strategies where you actually don't need to get state money, you, you know, taxpayers' money, but you can use assets and so on mm. um, to get it uh, um, um, from um, from outside. And and I was also asked by ESCOM, by the ESCOM management themselves, um, I presented to them um, last year, mm. and I made a comparison. Um, they asked me to look at reforms of other state-owned ut- um, power util- utilities around the world. Yeah. Um, so I addressed the senior management. So that really is the context uh, you know, from a state-owned, how you run a state-owned entity and how you reform um, a state-owned entity. And now to come directly to your point in terms of mm. the state, um, you know, the state of, um, um, of disaster. I like the first thing because, you know, almost every policy has been so captured. Mm. Like, and the, the solutions are also captured. And um, not only in energy space, but in many other spaces. If you remember, I mean, during the Jacob Zuma presidency, one of the solutions that were proposed at the time was to use nuclear energy mm. as a solution to our, power, uh, our problems. And then, um, uh, you know, the Zuma presidency struck a deal with Putin um, in Russia to get um, Russian um, and nuclear and, and to both. So even if nuclear was a solution they, that deal was also captured mm. and and and, it was and, and very, i think and i think yeah. I, and i think that was the resistance to it even from an from an anc perspective they could they could see that it might be a good thing but you know they were just the, the hands were greasy already absolutely i mean and i just just from an academic point of view i mean um russia actually had there's only two um Contracts that Russia has uh, uh, have uh, been able to persuade countries um, to take up their nuclear, and it's in Algeria and it's in Egypt, mm. and it's a much more smaller scale than what they propose uh, for South Africa. And then in those deals, both Egypt, the Egyptian deal and the Algerian deal, the Russians provide the finance and the people and the technical, so mm. they do everything. So they give a, a loan ahead of time, and then they do everything. Um, and so in, in a sense, what it means is that they own and control the assets throughout 
they manage the assets uh, right through, and the country pay then the interest afterwards. So it's really locking the country into indebtedness. It's almost like, if I I'll use another example, I mean, India now, mm. you know, um, 70% of India's arms comes from Russia. Mm. And India got their arms from Russia almost in the same way that we would have gotten our nuclear uh, from Russia, that the Russians... Uh, will give, you know, supplies, not only the weapons, but the technical people, sometimes some of the finance um, to it, and then the maintenance. Mm. So it locks the country then. So India is locked in because of arms mm. into the Russia sphere of influence and so on, because mm. they're totally dependent. So mm. we would have mm. been the same thing. Mm. Now, even if you look at another solution, you know, the car, uh, whatever they call it, the, the sub uh, the power sub, uh, car power sub, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, the term um, f- from the Turkey side. Yeah. Again, I mean, if you look at it, if, you know, if you analyze um, the deal, there's so many clouds of allegations of corruption around the deal. And it's, the deal has been pushed through to such an extent that it raises so much suspicion. Mm. And again, also, if you look at, um, you know, where that, uh, that, type of approach has been used by their company in other parts of the world. Mm. It's been super, super controversial mm. um, uh, uh, and so on. So, yes, it may be a solution, but it allegations that even that solution is actually a captured solution. Mm. And isn't isn't that the issue? And, and when I raised the issue with you, Prof, you know, around, you know, the whole issue of state of disaster, and I said, you know, the the the, the sort of significant uh, um, resistance to it that then came from South Africans because, you know, nobody now trusts the government to do anything properly. So even the ships that, you know, the energy deal with, with Russia fell through and that was the nuclear deal because an element and a, and a whiff of corruption around that. There's the ships now, the Turkey deal, and there's a whiff of corruption around that. So... So, so in essence, governing parties that ultimately get us into the place that we are, into the collapse of SOEs and, and, and have shown us that even during disasters like COVID, you know, um, government and or other officials linked to government and, and in that particular space will steal and, and, and utilize as much money that they can get from themselves, even in a disaster. The question I have to then pose to you is, in a political space, is the political party that ultimately gets you to the position where you are, the party that can get you out of where you are? The question then is, is the ANC capable enough of having dumped us into the quadmire that we are the same party that then can fi- suddenly find the skills, find the solutions, find the resources, find that, that, that solution thinking, you know, scenario and actually get us out of it. Or is it a case of, you know, Kusela and, and Medupi whereby, yes, there's a, a, a hairbrain idea. It's there. There's a solution to something. They just can't get it right. They can't build it. They don't have the skills, the knowledge. Is is the ANC that particular party then that can get us out of this mess? Now, historically, I mean, there has been no example in our modern times. When I say modern times, the last hundred years Mm. around the world, Mm. where a party that had 
um, been in power for very long, and it yeah. has been because now you, you have to remember the ANC has also been captured. It's not just the state, but mm. the ANC, in, because the ANC is a governing party, mm. you, uh, you know, if the state is captured, is the ANC is captured first, yeah. and then that captured ANC. You you have to you have to come through that door, of course. Yeah, you have to come through that door. Yeah. yeah. So the ANC is actually so when you look at that Zondo Commission into state capture, it was a, a, essentially indirectly a commission into state capture of the uh, into the capture of the ANC. Okay, let me, let me, Prof, let me, mm-hmm. let me, let me on this point elaborate with you a little bit and, and, and having an understanding. When we say the ANC is captured and then uh, my understanding would be those people who captured the ruling party, the ANC, would then gone on and have captured the state, right? Because that's how you start and you get through that particular door. How much of it is also a scenario where the ANC captures itself and those people walk through the door rather than an external force that captures the ANC first. What about a, a, a scenario where the, where the ruling party or any other political party does a 360 on itself and becomes that thing that they were not? and then walks through the corruption door to go and capture the state. Because there's two scenarios. One is is that the ANC gets captured, and those same people who capture the ANC walk through the door and capture the state. The other is is that the ANC does a 360 and is and becomes corrupt and then walks through the door to capture the state. Which, which one is it? I, I, I mean, you know, um, rather, I, I'm going to uh, use a different way um, um, to explain it is mm. historically the last hundreds of years, if you look at dominant parties, whether they are liberation movements uh, or independent movements, so liberation mm. movements are those with armed wings, mm. uh, independent movements doesn't have armed wings, you know, whether here in Asia or in Latin America, mm. um, there's only one, one movement, one independent movement in the last hundred years that actually changed in power. You know, so it became um, on the verge of corrupt, being corrupt mm. as a party, mm. and then it changed. And it was in Singapore, so it was a People's Action Party. Okay. And it's similar to the ANC, similar to many of the left of center um, African liberation movements, because it also had a trade union wing, it had a communist wing, mm. um, and so on. So, you know, we can make um, examples, uh, a, a good example between them. So mm. the way that they, they actually got out of the situation, I'll tell you what, mm. um, is that um, they actually fired almost, let's just say, the whole, almost the whole National Executive Committee of the party. Mm. Uh, and they all fired um, almost all of um, the party's uh, parliamentary representatives. Mm. Then what they did was they then asked an independent company, mm. a company from the UK, um, to come in and to recruit a whole <laughs> new NSC mm-hmm. and a new parliamentary representatives mm. from outside the party. So, you <laughs> know, it's like, you know, it's like they get a, got a recruitment agency from another country, came in, didn't know anyone in, in Singapore. They set up meetings and they called, made public calls for anyone, non-members, any person to apply. Mm. And the whole process was totally run by an external party. And then the external party made the recommendations, um, and it was mostly non-members that they recommended mm. to, the, to that NSC of the party of, uh, uh, 
in Singapore and mm. as parliamentary representatives. Then, of course, the old guy that were, guard that were pushed out, the members of the party who didn't get in, mm. they went to form their own party and they broke the party. So then what happened was this new, with new members, you know, that were appointed from outside mm. be- became you know, remain now as a new party and some of the old loyal members formed their own party and they split the party into two. So mm. that was on, like the only in the last hundred years, the only mm. way that um, in a liberation movement or independence movement could change while still in power. Mm. You know, it, they have to do this drastic matters. So mm. the only way under Cyril Ramaphosa or any other leader that the ANC can do the 360 change, mm. renewal, modernization, is to break the party, mm. to, to force out... But he can't go there, William. But he can't go there, William. It's not, well, it's not, it's not yeah. his place to go. I mean... I, you know, from my understanding of Cyril Ramaphosa, and I think from your understanding of Cyril Ramaphosa, and just looking at at the way he engages, he can't go there. There's there's an impossibility. But he has to go there to save the ANC. But it won't. But it won't be him, no, William. Yeah, yeah. It, you know. So so that for me is the, the let's call it uh, the sadness, perhaps mm. of of um, you know of Ramaphosa mm. in his birth to hold the party together mm. and not to modernize it because he knows if he modernizes it, there's going to be a break. There has to be a break. Mm. Mm. And then people have to, have to leave. But that will save the ANC. And that is what I cannot often, I'm baffled what that mm. he and his strategists cannot see that. By cleaning up the ANC and, and, and breaking parts of it out will actually save the ANC. Mm. If we get a grid collapse, because of, you know, his policy of trying to unite the ANC, a mm. grid collapse will push, will break the ANC totally, never to recover, mm. ever to come back to power. Because, okay. you know, the psychological impact mm. of a grid collapse in South Africa, I mean, just to imagine the whole state uh, coll- collapse, mm. um, there's no water, there is no power, possibly, potentially even... F- um, for months, um, you know, the, the riots across the country, no one thereafter will ever trust the ANC ever in power. Mm. Uh, what, what, do you make, what do you make of Andre de Reiter and, and his book? Just, the, you know, um, I've been reading his book and, and, you know, I've tried to glance through it in its totality, not reading, you know, in depth so, so that I could have some sense of, of where he's going and what he's saying. So I'm going to go back to the book and read sentence by sentence by sentence. But, you know, I've gleamed through the book in essence to, to try to understand him. What do, you, what do you make of Andre de Reiter and, and the kind of stuff he's talking about in his, in his book? So the first thing is, you know, I haven't read um, the book yet, so I'll have to talk in broad terms. Yeah. I think, you know, when he was appointed, he was very naive. Mm. Thinking that that ESCOM is like any other company, you know, you're like a private company. You get appointed as a CEO, mm. let's say to NetBank, um, the board supports you, and then you know you you make your recommendations and you drive your change. Mm. Now a state-owned entity doesn't work that <laughs> like that, not in South Africa, sadly. Yeah, mm. state-owned entities, yeah, is yes, they appoint you as a CEO, but you have to report to so many other. Um, oversight bodies, as I said, across you know, you mm. report to government tasks before you make any major decisions. Mm. Report to Pravin Gordon as the public enterprises minister before you make a major decision. Mm. You, you know, you have to 
possibly report back to the deployment um, uh, uh, committee uh, mm. of the ANC. Then you have to deal uh, with um, you, you, you possibly, you, you know, the NSC. You, mm. you can't do anything about unions, uh, for, um, for example, because the union, it, unions are a partner uh, with the ANC in power. Mm. So he didn't understand that. Mm. Uh, um, it's like it's not a private company. It's your politics are almost more important than mm. your technical um, capability because in the state of the crisis of our state-owned companies in South Africa is is you, you know is is the politics have started the rot mm. it um, um, uh, in there um, and nothing can no reform or restructuring can happen in a state-owned mm. company in South Africa unless the ANC back you all of the way. Mm. Wow. Okay, and this and 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 I mean, I think there's the dilemma in the, in the sense of he just never understood the machinery that that he that he was was getting into and getting involved with. But but ultimately, um, you know, when a man sits, uh, William, when a man sits in Germany these days, um, um, for safety reasons and not wanting to be, and 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 I'm not saying whether I'm not judging him now whether he made a good. He, he contri- his contribution was good or his contribution was bad. I haven't made a judgment on that. What, what I'm going to say is, is this. In any country, when the world looks at what's going on at ESCOM and sees Durator, and Durator tells everybody that he's sitting now in a place called Germany because if he were back in this country, he would probably be killed and his, and his family would be targeted. That doesn't say a lot about us here and our political systems and the way we deal with the kind of, you know, corrupt issues that do arise in this particular country. Because that, in essence, you know, the, the, the world and, and, and all of these people who are watching how this plays out are watching that development as well, that a man has had to run for his life and sits in Germany because uh, in this country, you know, there is the possibility that while driving down the road and stopping at a traffic light, he might be assassinated. We have become a mafia state. Mm. Um, I mean, if you're a whistleblower in this country, uh, in our country, you're likely to be dead. Um, and you're not going to be supported uh, by the state. Uh, very unlikely. I mean, if you think about in terms of ESCOM, you know, just the way I've explained to you, the capture, the, um, the interests um, that, that don't want ESCOM um, um, to be cleaned up. I mean, the strong interests that will make so much money uh, mm. when ESCOM is in chaos. At the same time, it's also there are very strong interests, criminal interests and mafia interests and political interests that, doesn't want South Af- that don't want South Africa to function because mm. if South Africa functions, um, they won't make the money. They won't have the assets, and they uh, don't have. The, they won't have the resources. So within the ANC, and also outside the ANC, um, um, not it's not necessarily just in the ANC, but also outside, you know, outside the ANC, there are people and there are groups um, in South Africa that benefit from chaos, mm. uh, benefit from instability. They benefit um, from lack of delivery, and they want the, the status quo um, to continue. Um, and they will fight back. And, you know, so in, in fact, so what's happening in South Africa and every citizen must understand that there's a war in South Africa. There's a war between the good people that want South Africa to work, to work against the bad people 
who don't want the country to work because they benefit and they are rich in it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a source, the chaos in South Africa is a source uh, of their empowerment. Mm. And, and that really ultimately is the fight uh, for our lives here, uh, for this country. And, and it's a very important people thing that people must understand. Not everyone uh, wants the country to work. Mm. Um, uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of people benefit from chaos. They mm. benefit from instability. They benefit from crime, uh, rising crime. They benefit, lots of people benefit from um, we as a country not having power. Mm. Prof. William Kumede, I have to say it's been an absolute, Prof. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and, and, and I have to bring you back, you know, time, time and again to speak about other matters as well, ESCOM being one of them. But, you know, what an insightful conversation tonight. Thank you so much, Brut. Absolutely, and thank you. Grateful and very, very happy that I could talk to you. Professor William Kumere, Associate Professor at the Witt School of Governance. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.